House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Hello and welcome back to the House of Mystery and today I have with me Rob Shelsky who is a writer of fiction and non-fiction works and um, I've been really honoured to have interviewed Rob before and we had a, a fantastic conversation and then Rob was coming over to the UK where I was based at the time and so we were able to talk about history and um, hauntings and the paranormal in terms of British history. This interview is slightly different. This interview is going to be a conversation between myself and Rob about his history today, what he's uncovered in his investigations of UFOs and his encounters with them, leading up to present day and a new ideology that he's found. So welcome, Rob. Well, thank you for having me on the show. It's good to be back. Very good to have you. So tell us a little bit about, just a recap, a reminder for those people who haven't heard your story before, tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are today. Well, it's been a long, slow, evolutionary process. I uh, began to become interested in UFOs on my own at an early age, but uh, the real clincher for me was my brother and a friend of his had missing time, and that catapulted me deeper into the subject, and so I began to research it more seriously. I became an investigative columnist for uh, Alien Skin Magazine, and that continued it, and I also branched out on my own, and then I joined MUFON as a field investigator. And uh, so, that's so sort of his... missing time, Rob, just, just, just before you go on, about the missing time bit, what do you mean by that, just so that people are really aware of what you're talking about? Well, when my brother was young, he and his uh, friend John used to go camping in the desert. We lived in Southern California. You go over the mountains, it's desert, so they would do that quite often. It was just 80 miles away or so. And one time they went camping, and they were there alone. His uh, friend's father dropped them off. And it was late at night, and they were sitting around the campfire, and they saw a red light zip across the sky and then do some odd turns. And then it seemed to come down not more than, I would say, half a mile away from where they were. Now, this, again, was quite dark, but they decided they wanted to go investigate. So they got up, and they left the campsite to go investigate. That's the last they remember. In fact, they didn't even remember that. The next morning, uh, John's father showed up. They struck camp and came home, and neither remembered the incident at all. And years passed. My brother got married. John got married. My brother moved to Las Vegas. John stayed in San Diego with his family. And then one day, my brother spontaneously remembered the incident, and he called John. He says, do you remember that episode? And John goes, well, I do now that you mentioned it. And my brother said, well, what happened? Why didn't we ever talk about it the next morning? Why haven't we talked about it since? It was a pretty big deal at the time. He said, do you remember what we did? Where did we go? Did we find the thing or not? And they couldn't remember. Now, my brother doesn't claim to have been abducted. But they can't account from that night until 9.30 a.m. the next morning when they simply rose from their uh, bedrolls and started striking camp. So that's what really got me interested because here's two people that I trusted and believed because I've known John a long time. And John was so upset by this that he sold his home in San Diego and moved his entire family to Las Vegas to be near my brother so they could further explore the phenomenon. They wanted answers, which is what we all want, I think, our answers. So it's that period of time between, so 
you know, recollection of memory, isn't it? So that kind of miss the gap that's missing. In terms of, um, did they realise shortly, you know, the next day that they'd lost this time, or was it only when they had the conversation many years later and then they unpicked the the events of the evening? Uh, you know what happened was my brother was showering and a piece of grayish material came out of his elbow, solid piece. He didn't think much of it because he rides motorcycles. He thought maybe he'd fallen off at one point, skidded, and someone embedded it in his skin at some point in the past. So he threw it away. And then he was watching a UFO that night, uh, show that night, and uh, he sort of just spontaneously remembered the incident. It came back to him in a flash, and he immediately called John. And that's when they started discussing it because they both then remember the incident, but um, we're talking 15, 16 years had gone by in between when they... Neither one remembered it. And so following that time, you became much more interested in, in not just the UFO experience, but the, the missing time and what what that meant in terms of um, time travel or parallel worlds, that, that kind of philosophy, isn't it? Uh, well, in this case, I think, I think my brother thinks it was a UFO abduction. Uh, and they really can't account for the time. They have no recollection whatsoever of anything beyond standing up to leave the campfire. But yes, with uh, a, a lot of people, disappearances, for example, it could be to other timelines. I'm just glad my brother didn't disappear. After having researched into time travel, I've got to tell you, a lot of people are disappearing. It's now estimated that uh, one million people a year disappear in the United States. One million. Wow. And, of course, this is what, um, when we're following UFO phenomenon, this is was actually reported in the X-Files, wasn't it? So this kind of storyline where um, Samantha, Fox Mulder's uh, sister, just disappeared. Oh, it happens a lot. And we're not sure how it's happening. There are cases that date back to the 1700s. This one in England, for example. A man sat on his front porch. He was crippled. He had to be carried out to enjoy the weather. His sister was in the house. There were some farm laborers within easy shouting distance if he got into trouble. He couldn't walk. Then uh, the weather turned bad. She went out to bring him in, and he was gone, never seen again. Now, he couldn't have walked off the field, off the uh, porch. The neighbors would clearly have seen him if he had. Uh, his coat was laying there, but he wasn't there. He was never seen again. And there was no reason to abduct him. It was, it was not a kidnapping. We just don't know what happened to him. It just absolutely vanished. So this disappearing thing has been going on a very long time. Now, was he abducted or did he slip into another timeline or what? We don't know, but this happens a lot. Uh, and it's gone on for centuries, actually. And this is where it gets hard with paranormal phenomena because when you see something in the sky, is it a UFO? Is it a ghostly orb? Or is it something else? And the same with time travel. When someone disappears, are they being abducted or... Are they just vanishing into another timeline or just ceasing to exist? It's hard to say. But is it happening? Yes, it absolutely seems to be happening. How it's happening, we're not sure, and why it's happening, we're even less sure. Is there a theory as to why some people remember a UFO abduction and others not? Well, most people don't. That's the thing I think about. Uh, my brother fits right into the category that way. He has a scoop mark on his leg. He had a piece of plastic in his arm. He had missing time but no memory of it. It's very common for people not to remember. Usually they don't remember until quite some years later or under hypnosis. Now, I did not have my brother do hypnosis. He asked me if he should. I said no because it's the, um, you know, it's, 
is called the uh, science of suggestion, and it's easy to suggest false memories, which then seem quite real to the individual. So unless you have an absolute expert doing it, you've got to be very careful because once you have those new memories, you can't discern them as being different than any other memories you might have, even though they're false. So it's like poisoning the data if you don't do it correctly, so I advise him not to. I interviewed um, a couple of years ago now uh, Byron Lacey, who, who believes he's um, abducted by aliens on a very regular basis. And he, yes, he talks about a mark on his, on his knees, actually, when, and he knows then that he's been abducted, so he won't remember um, the actual abduction or what happens, but he, he knows when he's returned he's, he's got marks on his, on his legs. Um, but he does remember certain activity, and he describes... Quite unusually, really, because normally people talk about greys when they're abducted, but he talks about um, uh, something that looks like a praying mantis. I don't know if you've, you've heard of that before or made sense of that. Uh, yes, yeah, so actually, there's supposedly different species. Not all of them are so friendly. Um, and I think that's referring to the insect, like some people say reptilian. I'm not sure which category that would fall into, but it sounds like the insect-like people to me. Uh, and there's the greys, and they're supposed to be tall Nordic types that look very much like humans, only they look more like Viking humans, very tall, blonde, and, you know, um, very similar to us. And then, of course, you've got the, uh, the little blue ones, the hooded figures that... Um, I had a friend, uh, he was an astronomer in upstate New York. He says he was abducted repeatedly. And it started as a child. And that he, I said, can you remember anything about the abduction? He says, not at the time, but I do now. And they came into my room, and I said, who's they? He said, the little short blue hooded ones. And they just picked me up and took me, and I was powerless. I couldn't do anything. And I said, do you remember anything else about it, anything that might? He says, oh, yes. He said, I remember the smell. I said, what was the smell? He said, they smelled like rotting wet cardboard is the way he described it, which a lot of people uh, that I've interviewed since have said very similar sorts of things, that the blues have this odor about them. And I find this amazing because usually people remember dreams. They don't remember the smells in a dream, do they? So these are just dreams. They're incredibly vivid. They're incredibly consistent among different people who I've interviewed. And frankly, I don't think they're dreams. I think something is happening to them. So would these, the different types of um, alien be different? Um, they have different purposes or different uh, like cultures like we would have? What, what is the uh, idea? Well, um, that's a matter of conjecture. Supposedly, we signed uh, some sort of agreement with one group of them, and then we found uh, evidence, this is the government, when I say we, of another type of group, and so we arranged to have a rendezvous with the first group to see if they knew about the second group. This was supposedly at Holland Air Force Base back, I believe, in the 50s it was, or early 60s. And uh, there's actually some film footage that's in one documentary of this UFO sitting on the field at Holland Air Force Base. And they were interviewed, these aliens, and said, do they know anything about these others? And they said, no, they weren't aware of them at all. So uh, are they different races or species? It would sound like they are. Also, they, some seem to be um, more aggressive towards us. You know, over a million people claim to have been abducted now, the United States alone, almost a million and a half. And this is an important social phenomenon. Whether you believe people are actually abducted or not, if a million and a half people are claiming abduction, that's an incredible social phenomenon. And it should be investigated on those grounds alone, regardless of whether it's even true or not. Why are so many people believing this? That's, you know, 
psych- psychologically speaking, that would be of interest to uh, sociologists, I would think. But nobody's investigating you to any real degree. So there is, so there's obviously pockets of investigators. I mean, you you yourself investigate and. Oh yes, oh yeah, absolutely. There's individuals that are even individual scientists, but you cannot get a major university or government grant to do it. Investigating UFOs in any way, shape, or form, or abductions, or anything related to it, is the third rail of the professional community. You do that, and you lose your grants, your money dries up, and you become a nobody quickly. Uh, it, there seems to be almost, well, I'm going to say it, there seems to be a conspiracy to keep people from investigating it, at least in the public domain. And last week, um, John D'Souza uh, explained to us that his theory was that, that that was all in place by the alien community themselves and that they wanted to be able to, I suppose, come out to the world at their pace, in their way, rather than um, us kind of fall upon evidence that proves they're there? Well, um, according to this original agreement they had, uh, they apparently were going to be allowed to abduct some of our citizens as long as they brought them back basically unharmed. And at the time, the American government, when they did this, uh, thought that it wouldn't be that many people. But they feel, according to what I read, that apparently the aliens are not respecting the terms of the treaty in the light that the uh, American government thought they would and that they're going far further afield and abducting a lot more people. And apparently there are permanent disappearances all the time. Now, in this country, we have a lot of disappearances, uh, as you do everywhere, in every country. And uh, a lot of them are accounted for, most of them. Uh, Some 95% are people who just run away, want to start a new life. They're kidnapped by the other parent. It's a child. Uh, there's also, or some people are just kidnapped and some people are just kidnapped and murdered. But even accounting for all of those is still anywhere from 8 to 5% that we simply can't account for. And this averages out to about 55 to 65,000 people a year in the United States alone, not even counting Americans abroad. Australia has about 30,000 people disappear a year. And their population is only around, what, 22 to 26 million, I think. And that's a phenomenal amount. And these people just never reappear. Now, I've lived in Australia. There's <laughs> only about seven cities of any real consequence. So either they're all sneaking off into the outback and how they're living there, I don't know, or they're just vanishing for good. So are there particular hotspots where people disappear from? Is there more activity? I know there's more UFO activity in certain places, but in terms of disappearing people, is, has that been tracked? Uh, it has by a number of people, including a former detective here in the United States who wrote a series of books called The Missing 411, and his name is uh, David Pilates, I believe, and he talks about the extreme number of people disappearing from our national and state uh, parks, and that the government is keeping no record of it, and he knows because he tried to get records of people who disappeared from the forest rangers and the rangers in control of these parks, and they say they have no such data. They don't keep any such records at all. And yet the number of disappearances on an annual basis are phenomenal. We have areas of the country, like up in New England, that have the so-called Bennington Triangle, where people have been disappearing. Alaska has a very small population, and so many people are disappearing there that they refer to it as the Alaska Triangle. And it's just for disappearances of people, not ships or planes, particularly. And uh, so, yeah, there are definite hot spots around the world. Some people think that these are somehow connected to ley lines. Others say no, but again, it's a matter of conjecture. 
And has that, has that work been, been undertaken at length about uh, looking at investigating those particular sites? Oh yeah, by, again by individuals, not by any kind of government organization or any kind of um, university um, uh, programs of any sort. But uh, sure, David Pilates is one of them. He's again, he's a former detective. He knows his job, and he's been investigating thoroughly. And in some cases, the people are found dead miles from where they disappeared, including one uh, young teenage boy who was uh, mentally handicapped. He was found 18 miles away two days later on the top of a mountain peak. Now, how he got there, he was found dead, unfortunately. Uh, nobody can understand or know because he simply didn't have time or the capability to go that far in that short of time and climb a, a mountain peak. But there are lots of cases where people vanish along with their belongings uh, around Crater Lake out west. Uh, uh, in, uh, on the Blue Ridge Parkway, the Appalachian Trail, people disappear on on such a regular basis that one of my British friends, is a, who's a, a big walker, hiker, he won't walk the Appalachian Trail because he's heard so much negative about it. And the types of people that disappear, is there a trend, a statistical trend that you can identify or you could project what type of people may be subject to abduction? Well, of course, in the national parks, it, it's weighted heavily towards young people because young people do wander off and die under natural occurrences or, you know, get lost, and so that skews the figures for national parks in that respect. But overall, no. It's women, it's men, it's older people, it's young people, it's even handicapped people. Um, we, don't, uh, we don't understand how it can be happening. In Britain, for instance, there was a case where a man made a bet that he could run a certain distance in a certain amount of time his friends didn't believe him, so they got a horse and cart and followed right behind him down the road. They say, this is a group of people, some eight or nine in this cart, following him closely, because they didn't quite trust him, you know, to follow the rules and not take a shortcut. He tripped, and they said he fell forward and seemed to just disappear in midair. Gone. Vanished. Never to be found again. Not his body. Nothing. Uh, you, this goes on all the time. Uh, there's a, a lighthouse off the coast of Scotland where it happened. And uh, three men were manning the lighthouse. The release crew came. They found uh, two of the um, oil skin suits missing as if the men had gone out. But they found the gate to the lighthouse locked. They found the door to the lighthouse locked. But of the men, there was nothing. And they had tried to come up with every reasonable explanation they can, a roadway, washing them away. But if they had washed away the two men in oil skins who had gone out, say, during the storm, it doesn't account for the third oil skin still being on the shelf. If he had witnessed the men being washed away or was trying to warn them and run out to them, why would he stop to lock the door to the lighthouse and the gate to the premises? It doesn't make sense, but they're gone and they've never been seen or found again. We are losing people at a phenomenal rate, and it's amazing how little is being said about it. And this happens even on the level of villages. The Anjakuni tribe in uh, northern Canada in the 1930s vanished. Uh, the... Um, uh, more recently, I think it was in 2010 or 2011, a village of Chinese in China vanished. And this was according to the official communist state radio. Later, they retracted it, but no one has ever found those people since. The village is a ghost village. Everyone's just gone. So sure, what's happening? So how would you trace people that have left with all their belongings? How would they be linked to alien adoption? Because many people would, would just critique that and say, well, they've, they've just gone. They want a new life somewhere else, and they've just disappeared. That is, uh, that's true, and we have accounted for that. We, 90, well, it's, 
the figures vary slightly. Anywhere from 92 to 95 percent of disappearances can be accounted for. There are people who are running away deliberately. They want to start a new life. They want to leave a bad marriage. Uh, it may be one parent uh, seizing the children from the other parent in a custody dispute. It, a lot of them are teenagers who run away from home because they're upset. These are accounted for. That accounts for the 92 to 95 percent that we know. Murders, kidnappings, we know. There's this other 7 or 8 to 5 percent that we can't account for. We just simply don't know. This is the case of Michael Valentich in Australia. He's flying a Cessna. See strange lights. He's in constant contact with the control tower. He says they're buzzing him. They're getting too close. There's a strange noise. And then he disappears, plain and all. And never to be seen again. Absolutely vanished. American military officers the same way. They go to intercept a UFO. There was one back in the 50s. Uh, I think his name was Robert Moncla. And he had a navigator with him. They flew over, uh, I think it was Lake Superior, to intercept a UFO. The government had spotted on radar, saw on radar. Their plane merged with it. And they vanished. No parts of the plane were ever found. The men were never found. They simply vanished permanently and forever. Now, did the plane crash? Well, they should have seen debris on the radar screen falling down towards the lake. They did not. They said it was as if the two things merged, and then the one object took off to the north. So, how do you account for that? You can't, not under with all answers. No, no. So, has anybody vanished from being incarcerated, so people in prison, for example, have they, are, are there no vanishings from prisons or anywhere that people would, would not normally be able to get access? Uh, yeah, they're called escapes. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, the, uh, there, there's one case that I know of, and that was the case of a guy by the name of Diderici. I hope I'm spelling it right. And it was back in the 1800s. He um, was a valet to a German officer. The German officer died and no one knew it, so he assumed his identity, spent a lot of the man's money, he was wealthy. He got caught, he was incarcerated in prison, behind prison walls with chains. In those days, it was quite common to chain people. And so he could walk around, but he had, his feet were shackled, as were his hands. And then other prisoners said that he simply vanished one day in the middle of the prison yard, which is walled in. Just They said, quote-unquote, he just sort of faded out, disappeared, and he was never seen or heard from again. Now, this is in a well-maintained prison. Now, uh, people have said, oh, well, maybe it was really foggy that day and he slipped away. Well, there's absolutely no evidence it was foggy that day. No one says that it was. Uh, secondly, they said, well, maybe just how, how it escaped. Well, how he could have done it is really strange because he was not particularly bright. I mean, he got caught in the first place. And uh, he was shackled, and he was behind a prison wall. So how did this happen? No one knows, but it's one of the more famous disappearance cases. And I mean, we, we could never possibly say that that was because of alien abduction, but it would see, you know, obviously there's huge difficulties getting out, out of those. Well, again, this is that fuzzy field. When is an abduction and when is it something else? We just don't know. And, uh, but what we do know is that people disappear from every country on Earth every year. And if you add the totals together, it is in the tens and hundreds of thousands per year, actually over a million. Uh, if you go by some numbers, and uh, it, it's amazing because in this day and age, it's almost impossible to disappear unless someone's buried you in a field somewhere because in a million people a year, that's kind of unlikely. Those fields would fill up fast, but uh, we, we track people. Our phones are tracked. Everything is tracked. Uh, you could move to a foreign country and live in the middle of nowhere and still 
someone's going to find you sooner or later if they have any intention of doing so. And I personally know of cases where banks have gone after students with student loans into foreign countries and contacted distant relatives to find them. And they do find them. So I don't see how this is just people wanting to disappear and start a new life all the time. And do we think that the different species, for want of a better word, of um, alien abduct people for different reasons? Do we have any links to that for, from alien abductees' um, explanations or accounts of what they've experienced when they can recall it? Do, can we link them to certain species of alien? Uh, no, we can't. Uh, people describe, and if anything, yes, you can in a way. Most people descri describe the greys, these, uh, the, the one that we're all so familiar with in so many movies about UFOs and flying saucers. But uh, they're basically the most common, but also the insect-like, the reptilian-like also seem to be doing it. I haven't really heard of any of the doing this, so I'm not sure about that. Um, when I was interviewing Byron, he was talking about um, the, this mantis um, raping him, and um, and that the, that was a traumatic experience. But the next morning, he felt very calm, very happy. He was he was you know in a happier place than he had been previously. But obviously, the event itself was traumatic. Is, is there many accounts like that? Well, the the blocking of the memory makes it okay for most people. And this is what I've been researching, and I just did a conference up in D.C. here a few weeks ago, and one woman said, well, you know, um, the people don't remember the, uh, the harsh, um, in, you know, uh, medical exams, that have been, if you want to call them medical, that they've been put through. And I said, so that makes it okay. I, 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 you know, and she said, well, if they don't remember, then what's the harm? And I said, the harm is, is that eventually they do seem to remember, and in any case, it doesn't change the fact that they were taken against their will, which is against our human rights, and they were subjected to some pretty horrible things. I said, just because someone makes you forget that you went through those things doesn't mean you didn't go through them. I said, they still bear the scars. And when they do remember, it's usually traumatic, especially in hypnosis, and they often are crying and screaming and have to be brought out of hypnosis. So I said, I think that idea just doesn't fly very well. If I abducted someone, kidnapped someone, and tortured them, and then made them forget, that doesn't undo the crime that I had committed. What's, what's the worst account that you've heard, Rob? Um, I think they, they, they follow pretty much a pattern, but uh, there are people who say that things have been implanted in them, that they've had probes literally shoved up their uh, nasal passages into their brain, that these are excruciating, that never was there any form of... Um, uh, ability to anesthetize them in any way that they just basically did it with them wide awake, except that they were paralyzed and couldn't move in most cases. And But they're quite aware of what was going on and felt the pain. Uh, there are, of course, the jokes about the anal probes, which are the same sort of thing, but they're no joke to the people that it happened to. Women have said that they have had fetuses implanted in them, and later it was verified they were pregnant. People have found... Um, foreign objects in them, and one doctor has even made it his quest in life to remove them, and one of them was sent to JPL Labs, I believe it was, and I may be wrong about that, but it was a major government lab, and the report came back that said it was probably not of Earth, that it was meteorite-like in its composition, that the amount of the elements and their distribution was very similar to that of what would be found in a certain type of meteorite 
Now, what is a piece of meteorite being embedded in someone by accident? And this was in their brain. So, um, you know, not deep in their brain, but uh, just above the sinus cavity. So, I mean, what is going on here? The, that definitely is something happening. And what we have to do now is somehow make sense of this. We have to separate the wheat from the chaff. We have to separate what's real from what's imagined and somehow come to some conclusions because whatever this is, it's a real phenomenon, and I believe it's very dangerous. And how do we do that? How have we started to do that? Well, I did it by joining MUFON and trying to collect more data as a MUFON field investigator. My belief was that if you get enough data, maybe you can start to make some sense of it. You can start running some analyses of it. And to a certain degree, that does seem to be true. But between government disinformation, and I really think there is that going on, uh, and uh, the inability to get all the facts on this, but we do have come up, we have come up with basics. UFOs are real. They do seem to exist. Astronauts have seen them. Government people have talked openly about them. It has been going on for decades, if not centuries. So UFOs are real. Um, are they of this Earth? Probably not. They seem to be from somewhere else, either another time, somewhere else in space, or even another dimension, but they don't seem to be from here. The people manning them seem to be almost oblivious to us as far as their human rights go. They don't seem to care. I had another woman at that convention who said, well, you have to understand they're so far beyond us that they probably see us like ants, and we don't hesitate to step on an anthill, or we don't worry about if we accidentally kill ants. Maybe they're the same way. I said, well, number one, as we progress, we've come more and more sensitive to the idea that you just don't kill other species wantonly simply because you can. And I said, number two, even if you're right and they do see us as ants because they're so far beyond us, then we ants have to look at ourselves because apparently they are not going to. It's a minefield, isn't it? It is an absolute minefield, yes. And, um, and look, every experience is subjective and every experience is jaded by a memory, um, or a lack of memory, or a suggestive memory, and then... Or even memories of memories. Most yeah. of the memories we have from our early childhood are not memories of the actual original memory. They're memories of memories of memories, and of course they get vaguer and vaguer with retellings. So, yeah, we have several versions of any one memory, and probably the one we remember most recently is the memory of a memory, not the actual memory itself. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's different. What's, what about, um, in terms of the, the, you've also got that element of, of time lost as well, where people just can't remember. And for any of us who have, have woken up in the morning and lost time, um, or can't recall the, the events of an evening, that's trying to go back over those things is really quite difficult. Tell me about... Well, sometimes impossible. I mean, my brother and John had no memory of what happened. They didn't have any reason to try to remember something that happened because not only did they not remember the events of the night before from, say, around midnight on till 9.30 in the morning, but they had no memory that they didn't remember. It was as yeah. if they had, it was a, a block to even think about that topic in them. So it's very difficult for most objectives to just remember on their own. Sometimes it's spontaneous. Often it's years later. And... Uh, but with my brother, I trust my brother with many people I would hesitate because I don't know them well enough. I trust his friend John. I do know that my brother was very intensely involved in it. He spoke with John Lear, who's a big um, follower of the UFO phenomenon, you know, the Learjet family. And uh, he asked him, 
what, you know, uh, well, actually, John Lear asked my brother, he said, do you think we're at the top of the food chain, Michael? And my brother didn't respond. And I said, why did you respond? He says, well, I didn't know the answer to that. He says, what do you think? And I said, oh, no, we're not at the top of the food chain. We just think we are, but no, we're not. And since we're not at the top of the food chain, that means we're someone else's prey. So in terms of the, the time travel, you're, you know, you've, you've seen that through your brother's account. You've queried it. How, and obviously this happens a lot, so how have you uh, investigated that? How have you taken that? big question mark is, is into like is time travel real to um, come up with a conclusion well I, I like to do my investigations uh, from different viewpoints uh, I, I like to interview people that it happened to I research reports okay. that happened in the past but I also like to approach it from a scientific viewpoint the first thing I want to know about time travel was it even possible well according to Einstein it is can we travel into the future? Yes, we can. You launch someone into a, a spaceship, you send them out in space fast enough, even astronauts are orbiting the Earth, and uh, time moves more slowly for them so that when they come back, they're a part of a second into the future. We know that for a fact. We've done it. Atomic clocks aboard satellites uh, go out of sync within minutes of uh, their synchronized counterparts on Earth, and to keep our GPS moving smoothly, the military constantly has a program that updates them and keeps them in sync because of the, uh, the time differential. So we know that time travel is possible. We know that it happens, and it's happening now. So that was the first thing I had to learn. Then I wanted to find out if anyone had, had uh, created time machines. Well, there was one person in Canada who was supposedly rather infamous for that, and his name is Sid Hurwich. And uh, he apparently invented some sort of time machine, uh, tried to give it to the police so it could help them find criminals. Apparently, it caused um, objects to freeze where they were, like the cop's pistol on the table in, in Sitarwich's house. And of course, you can dismiss that, but it was in the newspapers at the time. And this man was not a nut. He was not stupid. He had helped um, expand the uh, National Electric Grid of Canada. And uh, he was a multimillionaire. He, had, uh, he was good at what he did, and he was very good at tinkering with machines. And even that wouldn't convince me, except the man won an award, a top award in Israel, because he was Jewish, for helping the Israeli government with something. And the rumors are that it had to do with the Entebbe raid to save um, the uh, Isra Israelites that were being held captive in Uganda at the time. But the Israeli government, and neither has Sid Horowitz ever said why he was given this prestigious award. It was just announced in the paper, had a photo of him getting the award for vital help to the Israeli government, and no one knows how or why. But it all, if you add it up, it, it all seems pretty suspicious, doesn't it? So give us some um, evidence that time travel is happening or that maybe our time is being altered by alien beings. Well, if it's time travel, it could be an intelligent alien race from the future. It could be our own descendants doing it. Uh, there is evidence to, to show that uh, uh, we have the ongoing problem with the Mandela effect lately, and some people put that down, again, to either ley lines or they put it down to CERN and the atom smashing we're doing there and what it's causing. I personally think it might have more to do with D-wave computer systems, quantum computers. Uh, than anything else, but, you know, we have no proof of what's causing it. We do know that it seems to have started, 
in the late 1990s is when we became aware of it. And since then, it seems to have grown almost exponentially, the number of people reporting strange Mandela effects. And again, I found one on my own. And again, I like to go for the hard stuff. So yes, people can misremember things, and they do all the time. But in this case, people are in droves misremembering something the same way, like the color chartreuse. What is the color chartreuse? What, what color would you say it is? Say that again, Rob. Oh, the color chartreuse. What color would you say that is, Julie? Oh, if you were to describe uh, the color chartreuse, how would you describe it? It's not a, it's not a, a color phrase we would use here, I don't think. Um, it's not a color phrase we would use here, I don't think. Okay, well, it's supposedly a lime green. It's, uh, oh. Chartreuse is the color of a liqueur called chartreuse. So it's a very bright lime green. However, when people get it wrong, they all get it wrong the same way. They all say it's like a reddish purple or maroon color. They don't say it's blue. They don't say it's orange. They don't say it's red. They say reddish purple or reddish maroon. They well, I was going to say a reddish a maroon color. I had a roommate that said the same thing. He got, it, he got it dead wrong. So if you believe in the Mandela effect, he and I are not from the same timeline. Okay, so tell our listeners about the Mandela effect, and then let's go because obviously you've got a new book coming out about this this um, well the theory, the Mandela theory. So tell us about that. Well, the Mandela theory was uh, first came out with Fiona Broom. She uh, recognized that there was a problem. She had gone to a Dragon Con convention, and the subject of uh, Nelson Mandela came up, and many people remembered him as dying in prison after having been tortured. They remembered the funeral. They remembered his grieving wife giving an eloquent speech. And, but he didn't die then. He didn't die until after he was no longer president of South Africa. And a lot of people have both memories. Well, this has been going on with all sorts of things. The, uh, the emblem for Ford has a little squiggle on the crosshatch of the F in Ford. Now, everyone says that wasn't always there. And Ford Company says, oh, yes, it was. It's, we've never changed it. We, it's in our records. It's always been that way. Well, one man has found commemorative medallions of a World's Fair, and in it he has a medallion that has the Ford insignia without the squiggle on the F. And Ford showed their version of it, a hard copy coin, an actual coin medallion, that did have it. So now we have two different medallions, and Ford said, no, they never struck two different versions of it at the World's Fair, and they can't account for how this could be. And yet, it's been verified that it is a bona fide medallion from that World's Fair. This is going on all the time. It goes on with everything. Globes from movies from the 1990s, specifically, it seems, mostly, um, show land masses on them that don't exist. And people say, well, maybe the globes were faulty or they were printed in error. It's highly unlikely. One's, one globe was from Dazed and Confused, the movie, and was filmed in a real classroom with a real classroom globe. It just shows a landmass to the west of Australia that doesn't exist, and yet many people remember a large island being there They just can't remember its name. Now, here's the frightening thing. An island one-fifth the size of Australia had to have people on it. We don't remember those people. Some people must have had relatives there. I have relatives in Australia, relatives in England. Other people must have had relatives on that island. They don't remember loved ones and relatives or friends. It's as if they were erased from their memories. And that's what scares me. If reality is so flexible, can we just suddenly stop remembering a loved one that we knew all our lives, that we cared about more than anything else in the world? Did you have a sister once, and now you don't remember ever having had a sister? That's spooky to me. 
does this link in any way with um, degenerative diseases like Alzheimer's? Uh, no, actually it doesn't because the people doing remembering don't seem, there are various age groups, yes, some of them are older because the longer you live, the more you have memories, but also a lot of younger people do. Uh, my roommate was 29 and he misremembered chartreuse as being reddish purple. Uh, and, 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 and this is, this will be thousands of these Mandela effects. Are they all real? No. Some are just people misremembering something. I, I personally don't remember Jif peanut butter. I, uh, Jiffy peanut butter, I remember Jif. And I think people are confusing Jiffy peanut butter with Jiffy popcorn is what I think. And uh, so in some cases, I don't think they're true Mandela effects. In other cases, they almost have to be. I personally found a globe in a TV show. Uh, it was the I Dream of Genie series, fourth season. In the background is a globe. I called it up on the Internet, freeze-framed it, blew it up, it shows a distinct landmass off the very tip of South America, just slightly to the west of it, and just above Antarctica. It shows a green with mountaintops. It's not vague. It's not a mistake. It's not a key. It's not a logo. It's an actual landmass. There is no such landmass. It also showed a landmass to the west of uh, the north of South America, a large one where there is no landmass. Uh, it also showed another landmass to the west of Australia. And here's the interesting thing. These globes tend to show landmasses to the west of Australia, but they're not the same. Um, on Days and Confused, it's a large landmass. On um, the globe I saw in I Dream of Genie, it's a um, <clears throat> medium-sized landmass, very horizontal, stretched out horizontally, and it seems to be split in two, like two parts to it. And then on um, uh, the a Friends episode, it shows a landmass about twice the size of Tasmania, just to the southwest of Australia. So different globes are showing different land masses in the same general areas. But the one I found, I looked all over it. No one else has discovered that particular one, so I'm kind of proud of that. I mean, yeah. this is strange. Globes are expensive to make. They're not cheap to buy, especially school globes, and they are accurate. So these aren't just a numerous globes made by different companies making massive mistakes. No. So what's, what's happened to cause that? What is the actual event that's happened? A crossing over of a timeline? What's happened yes. to... I think our timelines are merging. Uh, the founder of D-Wave Computer Systems, Quantum Computer Systems, one of the actual founding members and owners of the company, has given a seminar, and you can look it up on YouTube, and where he speaks that his quantum computers are tapping into parallel universe quantum computers that also exist to find the answers so quickly. That's the current theory of how a quantum computer works. It relays through quantum computers and other realities. Well, if we are tapping into parallel universes to solve mathematical problems in, uh, with their quantum computers, uh, sort of linked together in some kind of interdimensional connection, what are the side effects? You know, when we first uh, detonated a nuclear bomb, we just thought of it as a really big bomb. The idea of fallout and radiation we developed later when it happened and people started dying from it. We learned the hard way. I'm wondering if we're learning the hard way with quantum computers. Others say it could be CERN, that their atom smashing is recreating events of the Big Bang, and this is causing um, a distortion in the timelines, the parallel universes. Um, others think that it's ley lines, that there are power lines that interact with other dimensions, and that this could be the cause. I'm not sure about that, but I can't dismiss it because I simply don't have enough information to do that. So is it that, I'm just trying to get my head around this, hang on, well, so is it that 
the, all these virtual realities, if you like, they all run alongside each other. It, obviously, they're all panning out different ways because of the decision makings in every single scenario. I mean, there would be just countless, wouldn't there, different um, realities. Infinity. And there'd be a subset of infinities. There'd be an infinity of universes where you were never born. There'd be an infinity of universes where you were born. There'd be an infinity of universes where you're already dead. And there'd be an infinity of universes where you don't die until you're very, very old. So all possibilities would have to be happening at one time. Now, this isn't just a wild theory. This is the many-world theory of um, quantum physics, and it's used to explain string theory, which is the very basic theory we now have about our universe. So, and it demands that there be parallel universes. So if this is so, and if it's true, and that is a big if, even though most quantum physicists believe it is so now, um, it means that we have multiple parallel timelines. Every time a decision is made, there's a universe that's instantly created where that decision was made the other way. And there's even a theory that we have quantum immortality because at the instant of someone's death, there's another universe instantly created where they didn't die and that your consciousness simply transfers to it. And that, believe it or not, is a theory proposed by several scientists. It's called, there's two versions of it. One's called quantum immortality and another one's called quantum suicide, meaning you can't really commit suicide because if you do, in this universe, you ended, but instantly there's another universe where you didn't commit suicide and you went on living. So it's a very strange concept to get your head around. But if true, it means that, yes, the universes are like strands of spaghetti all bundled together and they're all side by side. And some of them are so close that we can't tell the difference. In fact, there's an infinity so close that the only difference between the two of them is that an atom split in one and didn't maybe split in the other. But there are also universes where things happen slightly differently. And it would explain possibly um, out-of-body experiences, for example, when people are under anesthetic. Um, uh, yes, there's the theory that out-of-body experiences could literally simply be traveling across timelines to a different reality. Uh, there is one more theory, and that theory is that we live in a matrix, and that the matrix is being tinkered with on a regular basis. And they're readjusting, and as they do, changes occur in our history and timeline to suit whoever is doing the tinkering with our simulated universe. And by the way, there's a 35% chance approximately right now, according to scientists, that our universe is a simulation, which is pretty creepy when you think about it. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. And that's probably going to go up. That percentage will probably go up as they get more evidence on it, because they are finding evidence that our universe might be this might be a simulation. For instance, they have found in string theory, there's something called linear block code that they discovered in it. Linear block code is self-correcting code for the transmission of computer data. All the major search engines, Google, Yahoo, all use that exact same code, not a variation, the exact same mathematical formulas to protect their transmissions of data. Why would the basic theory of our universe need uh, block linear self-correcting code built into it? unless we're a simulation. Yeah, definitely. What about, um, I mean, we saw this on television in a, in a, a series years ago, didn't we, with um, Quantum Leap? Uh, there have been several on it. Um, I believe Nick Bostrom was the one who first formulated the theory, and since then others have tried to prove or disprove it. They're not disproving it. Actually, there seems, we find more evidence on the quantum level that it just might be true. Because if you think about it, the universe is really made of nothing. I mean, you're 99.999% vacuum. 
that's what your body is made up of. If you actually compress down to a solid piece of matter, same with desks, chairs, whatever, we're actually like ghosts. We are 99.999% vacuum, which is incredible when you think about it because we seem perfectly solid to me, especially when I stub my toe. <laughs> yeah, but when, 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 this, um, when did the theories around the, the timelines merging in the quantum um, physics side of that. When did that first start to... Um... Well, we're talking about two parallel developments. First of all, Fiona Broom came up with the Mandela effect in 2010, I believe it was, and she began promoting that theory. Meanwhile, quantum physicists have been developing string theory, and as they developed it, uh, and the inflationary theory of the universe, which is what we go by right now, that is the theory of the universe that everyone says is the way it works, and we have found ample evidence so far in experiments that it does seem to be holding up those theories. And so that's where the idea of parallel universes came in. Those actual, the original theory was by two professors back in the early 60s, I believe it was, in a Princeton University called the Many Worlds Theory. It was discounted. People said, oh, no, that's too bulky. It's too much trouble. The universe can't really work that way. Well, since string theory and inflationary theory of the universe have become the darlings of physicists and quantum physicists, they demand that there be parallel universes. So on the one hand, you have science saying, yeah, there's got to be parallel universes, probably an infinite number, or darn close to it. And then you have people researching the Mandela effect saying, something's happening to our timelines. And then you have a third group saying, well, what's causing that? And they're beginning to question if it isn't something we're doing in quantum mechanics. The reason I, the reason I ask, Bob, is because when we... Um one of the things that um, John D'Souza was talking about is is, is um, very similar to what you are in kind of that matrix where somebody's simulating something or we're being governed by alien life form. Um, there's, a, there's an end purpose, which is not quite sure what that is yet. And, and I'm thinking, you know, back in the 80s when Quantum Leap was on telly and as a young girl, I would be sat there watching this guy leap from um, timeline to timeline to go in and... and make something better in the next timeline that he, he went into. And he'd be a different person every time. And hmm, I remember the sliders. The yeah. uh, sliders, which was similar. Yeah. But it's, it's crazy. It's, it's like, um, it's almost like those kind of predictions are there, that drip feeding of information. Um, the X-Files, a lot of that was based on um, real-life accounts. Maybe not completely true, but, you know, based on real-life accounts, and it, it really is as though we're sometimes through the, the channels of media where we're taken on a journey to come to get to one step nearer to where we should be. Oh, I think so, and, and, and uh, I have high respect for the X-Files. They did a um, show on the Brown Mountain Lights of around Morganton in North Carolina here where I live, and I went and investigated it, and there definitely are Brown Mountain Lights. I filmed them and photographed them, so uh, uh, the show is is may go off on a tangent, but it is based on certain premises that are considered real. And the Brown Mountain Lights, for instance, date back to the, before the colonists even arrived here. The Native American tribes in the area reported them as well. This is a long-term phenomenon, these Brown Mountain Lights. No one knows what they are. But do they exist? Yeah, they exist. There's even an official turnout, State Highway Road sign that says, Viewpoint for Brown Mountain Lights. And you can turn off there, and it's a big parking area for people to park in their cars and look at the Brown Mountain Lights when they appear. So, do they exist? Yes. Do we know what they are? No idea. Okay. Last time I spoke to you, 
time I spoke to you, Rob, I remember finishing the interview with sort of like an, oh, my word, this is just madness, and there's so many more questions I could ask, which I could, because every time I speak to you, there is a kind of, you're another step forward to understanding how this all works, and or there's another theory that you're, you're trying to, to kind of prove or disprove. In your next book, tell us a little bit about the book, where people, when it's going to be released and where people can get it, um, and what you're hoping through the, the, that, that book to achieve. Well, my next book, I just released one actually a couple of weeks ago, and it was called The Mystery uh, That Is Mars, and uh, that's where I gave my presentation on basically uh, up in D.C., but my next book is on the Mandela Effect, because, again, we have all this information and all this data, and somehow you reach a point where you have to stop collecting the data, or, or at least refocus on the data you have and try to draw some conclusions from it. As a member of MUFON, uh, as an investigator, I have had to investigate quite a many, uh, quite a few um, uh, UFO sightings by different people. And it's great that, you know, you, you gather more data, but at some point you have to say, well, does this data serve any purpose? Can we draw some conclusions? And that's what I'm trying to do with the Mandela Effect in my next book. It's like, here's the data. Here's what we see. Here's what we know. Here's the possible... Uh, explanations for it, and then I leave it to the reader to try to pick the one they think is probably the most backed by real evidence. Where can people get your books from, Rob? Uh, they can get them off of Amazon here in the UK, Australia, anywhere they want to. They can get them in print, or they can get them uh, in, in any ebook form they want to. So all you have to do is type my name in on the internet, and Amazon Kindle, and it all comes up. And can you see a time, Rob, in the future where we won't be talking about hypotheses and, and uh, theories and, and that you're able to kind of crack this code and understand it and, and be able to say, right, in my lifetime, I've, I've understood what the bigger picture is about. Um, I asked my brother that one time. Uh, I said, if you're dying, Michael, would you like to have the answers? Because he never got the answers he needed. I said, you know, you're on your deathbed. If someone has the answers, which you want to hear them? And he says, well, it depends. And I said, on what? He said, it depends on whether or not the answer is a good one or not. And yes, I think there may come a time, and it may not be far off, or it may be quite a ways off, but I, everyone seems to have a sense of something impending, something coming soon, something momentous. And many people, of course, think apocalypse or doom. But I think we're getting close to the answers or to the revelation of what's behind a lot of this. Will it be all the answers? No. Every time you find, get an answer, it raises new questions. But, yeah, I think some of the things we're questioning now we will have answers to. We may not like the answers. We may have preferred that they weren't given to us. But, yeah, I think we'll get some. Is there anything that's come up, any date that's come up that whereby we will, um, where we've been given the information as to when to expect the answers that are relevant to us? Well, if you listen to conspiracy theorists, they think it's going to be soon that the point, like with UFOs, of the government being able to hide the fact is just about over. Uh, they, since the majority of Americans and people worldwide now believe UFOs are real, uh, that there's no point in trying to keep it a secret. So a lot of people think the answers are coming soon and the government will give us the information. Um, others say no, that, they're going to, that no matter what we see, they're going to use disinformation, dismiss it, ridicule the people involved, or whatever to keep it a secret because that's the deal and they have to. Why they have to so badly is another question, but if you follow that line of theory, no, we're never going to get the answers from the government at least. 
But yes, we do seem to be getting real evidence from other sources. Basically, we're, we're working around the government now. Everyone has camera phones, for instance, and it's awfully hard to try to seize everyone's photos like they used to back in the 50s and 60s. The government would take evidence and then you'd never see it again. They'd never return it. But nowadays, that's impossible. So by sheer default of the number of cameras, we may get the answers we seek. Well, Rob, it's been a pleasure. As usual, I'm left with more questions than answers from talking to you. Um, Welcome to my world. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see that. I always start the interview thinking, okay, let's just have a recap as to where we're up to, because it actually reminds me of just how complicated this whole scenario is. And I know that you are such a, um, a great writer and a, and a great talker that you're able to put it into kind of clear, common sense English for us lesser mortals. But it's still really complex because you're trying to get your head around. Yes, I'm doing the same thing actually. I'm trying to get my head around it. On the one hand, I find it wondrous, and on the other hand, I find it frightening as well. But then when we don't know something, we have a fear of the unknown. Well, if anybody listening needs to know more, then go and pick up your, your books from Amazon. And um, you've written quite a few books now, so I'm sure that will, um, if you start at the beginning, you'll, you'll begin to see that Rob's evolution of understanding um, and, and now coming up to the understanding of the Mandela effect and the impact it has upon us. So thank you once again, Rob. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on your show. It was good talking to you again. And you, Rob. Bye-bye. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.